also, um, we had a couple of names that we wanted to say, Leiluin Ishmat, Yosef Malachi Ben David, and Netanel Abraham Shalom Ben Nicole. We don't have the father's name yet. And um, in general, we're learning for the schut, for the schut of the uh, of the nifkaim of the wounded, and a tefillah for the the captured that they should come home safely, and um, and of course Lili Mishmat, all of the kedushim that uh, have died. We hope that there will be no further carbonote and that we. Uh, we merit a full, complete Yeshua and Geula. Uh, so, Governor Melch says, Lulei Torah's Chashashuai, Azabarati Ani. I didn't have the Torah to comfort me. I would be lost in my misery. So, thank God for Torah. We'll learn some Torah. It'll be a uh, big scoot. And um, we'll try to uh, overcome the, the heavy feelings. Okay. So I have to go backwards with you because we had um, okay, we had a, a bit of a uh, long very, very long peric in our last uh, session with Zion, the story of Gavid and Goliath. And we didn't really get a chance to talk about the the end of the peric. And it's very relevant to peric yudchet. So I thought I would I would work it together. Okay. So in this peric, we're going to examine the aftermath of the defeat of Goliath and the rise of David, the rising star that is David, and how everyone reacts to him. And it's a very, very important chapter. This particular edition, we always have a, a division. I don't, I'm beginning to be less and less happy with the way they divided. They're dividing it according to the paragraphing. You see the sum up in the pay. But um, topically, there's a few parts to this parak, and and I would divide it this way. We talk about at the end of Parak Yitzai, the end of chapter 17, after David kills Goliath, Shaul's reaction, and the beginning of chapter 18 is Yonatan's reaction. And then we have a, a, keta, a section where um, we begin to see the deterioration of the relationship between uh, Shaul and David. And we move along to Shaul and, and uh, David becoming father-in-law and son-in-law and how that plays into this whole scenario. So if we go back to the end of chapter 17, a very, very strange exchange happens and I, I really, um, it's a distance of time. It's a couple of weeks that we didn't meet. And I actually don't remember what we said or didn't say about the end of this chapter. 
But because we need to look at it in terms of chapter 18, I'm going to go backwards. So here, after he kills Goliath, okay, Pasuk Nunhe, 55, you see why it's hard to get to it. And what, Yekirot Shalut David Yotzei Lekratza Pashti Amar Al Abner Saratzaba Ben Mizeh Hanar Abner this is a very strange exchange. And when Shaul sees David going out to, towards the Plishti, he says to Abner, who was his commander-in-chief and his first cousin, if you remember, Abner was the son of Ner, and Shaul was the son of Kish and Ner, and Kish were brothers. Who is that guy? Ben Mizeh Elam, Ben Mizeh Abner. And Abner says, I have no idea. Now, since in chapter 16, we learned that Shoal, after the anointment, uh, the anointing of David, Shoal became extremely troubled in his spirit. And David was brought to him as a musician. And Shoal loved him very much. And he, you know, became his, um, it says no say Kayla. We don't know what kind of Kayla. We don't know exactly how that actually worked. But there's a relationship there, and it clearly says at the end of chapter uh, 16 that Shoal loves them. I mean, it actually says, and it's not so clear who loves who, but the implication is that Shoal loves him. And now, David has gone out to kill the Pushti, and all of a sudden, Shoal says, who is he? So how could it be that Shoal doesn't recognize him? So that's the first question. And then, not only Shoal, but Abner says, I don't know. Who is he? Right in Pasuk Nun Vav, Go find out who is this this Elam. And the Elam is a little different than Nar. It's a little more, uh, you know, a little older. An Elam is a little bit older than a Nar. But it's a strange thing. Like, just find out who he is. Okay, Pasuk Nun right? David is coming back. He's cut off Goliath's head. He's carrying the head of this giant, which is a horrific thing to think about, to see. And he comes back to Shaul. What is going on here? So there's a number of theories, okay? And uh, we'll just do it very quickly because I want to get to our parak. One of the theories is that Shaul, you know, he has this ruach ra, and it's making him uh, forget things, and it's a, like a sort of age where he's not really remembering. And when he says to Avner, "Who is that guy?" So Avner doesn't want to embarrass him by saying, uh, "Don't you remember? It's David." So Avner says, "I don't know." Okay, and then he says, who is it, who is it, right? So um, when he brings him over, he says, who are you? And he says, I'm the son of Yishai. I don't have any, you know, I have anything to, uh, you know, to say about whatever you want to know. I'm just, now, that would be the shot. Like, the show doesn't recognize him or something's out of order here in the text and we don't really get that. There's a number of ways of understanding it, but, Right? The Chazal understand this in a different way, and I wanted to show you the Gemara, which I definitely did not have time for last year, and that's Gemara in 
Yevamot, okay? So there's this whole discussion going on, right? Didn't Shaul, right? So Yishai, how could he not know, right? Ben This is the Nivamot. I don't know. It says he loved him very much. How could it be he doesn't know who he is? So the Gemara is very puzzled. And it says, not only was David known to show, Yishai was a famous person. He was Bob Anashim. Yishai was the great Sadiq. He was a great, great man at that time, very aged. And he always went. He always had a whole bunch of people following with him, a big, great sage and a Sadiq, right? So what does Shaul mean? Rather, the Gemara says, he's saying, Yehuda had two sons back in the day. One was Peretz and one was Zerah. If David is a descendant of Peretz, then he might be king. Because it says, right, Melech parates lo geder. A king parates. He, he can break open fences. He has the ability and the right to do that. So maybe that's what it is. But if he's from Zerach, then we don't have to worry about it. Because you have to understand, to get into Shaul's mind, Shaul is suffering. Because in chapter 15, he's told, you are out as king. And I'm giving the kingship, God tells him through Shmuel and Navi, I'm giving the kingship to someone who's better than you. So now he has to sit and figure out, who is this someone? Who is better than me? And so this is preying on his mind, in addition to all of his bad spirit and his depression and his melancholy, the way that Bible describes it beautifully is the dark, the darkness that he's left with when the spirit of the king leaves him. And he's just so... Um, down, and then he's got this worry. Who is this person? So, when he sees David going out to kill the Pushti, and he starts really getting nervous because this is a thief that no one's been able to do. Uh, somebody uh, is unmuted, so please, oh. right? So, you have this whole thing that everybody is waiting for 40 days for somebody to, to deal with Goliath, and here he comes forward, so he is clearly a, a very important person, and maybe he's the guy. Okay, Reverend Sharon, can I ask a question, though? Sure. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I don't understand. How is it that he could have, Shaul could have loved David if nobody loved him? Like, what's the connection? No one in his family loved him. I missed the previous class, so maybe you spoke about it. But no one in his family loved him, but Shaul Melech loved him. Like, what's how is that possible? So, I think that we're, we're taking something that is very midrashic that uh -huh. didn't love him, and um, it, it's definitely not in the text. The problem we have in chapter 16 is that Yishe doesn't bring him when he brings all the sons, and the question is why. So, there's all kinds of midrashim that. David was on the outs and whatever. And it was at that point that Yishai realized that his wife was a descendant of Ruth. It doesn't, it, it doesn't work because Yishai is a descendant of Ruth, not his wife. Yishai is the son of Obey, who was the son of Ruth. So it doesn't, the whole medicine doesn't, you know, work out. So what we have to understand from the story is that somehow David is left out. Somehow he's the youngest. He's not um considered 
as so important. And so he's left out a lot of times. However, to say they don't love him, I don't think that that would be fair thing. And as we'll see in chapter 18, everybody loves David. Now, Eliav treats him like dirt. He's his older brother, right? But everybody loves him. This is what's going to drive Shaul nuts. Yonatan loves him. Bicha loves him. The people love him. The servants love him. Everybody loves David. David has a special magic, a special charm, a special holiness that people are attracted to. So it, it's kind of hard to say his family would love him. His family, his family treats him like a, you know, a stupid kid, which is what happens in families. And I, you know, there's so many different discussions about why that whole happened and why Dub was on the outs. But I think there's also something to think about that Eliab, who treats him very rudely in chapter 17, Eliab is is clearly a Balkas. He's a, he's a person with a bad temper. He is rejected by God. It says so explicitly in chapter 16 that God says, I don't want him. So we can't, we have to take what Eliab says with a grain of salt. Like if Eliab treats David badly, it says more about Eliab than about David. That's what I'm saying. And anyway, here's David. Okay. One of the things that the Tanakh does that we have to pay attention to I'm going to really run out of time here, is that we have to see what the person says. What's come out of David's mouth so far? Okay, if we look at the text so far, right? Only in, in chapter 16, he doesn't say anything. In chapter 16, nothing, right? And going backwards a little bit. He's anointed, nothing. He doesn't say anything. Right? Kum anoint him. David doesn't say anything. He gets the spirit of God. He doesn't say anything. And they tell, they bring him to Shah. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. We don't hear from him. It's very important to pay attention to what he says. He says nothing until chapter 17. And then it's all about Hashem. Right? He comes, he does what he does what his father wants him to. I don't think he says anything there either. Right? We hear about Goliath, and then sorry if I'm making you a little dizzy here. Right? And uh Yishai says to him, go bring the stuff to the thing. He doesn't even say, okay. He just goes. And then he 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 speaks of the first thing he says is, right, what's gonna happen to the man who kills the pushti? Are you kidding me? You need to give a reward to someone. He's going to, we have to remove the disgrace. We know what it is, a disgrace. When the Jewish people are put down, it's a disgrace. It's a chalashem, it's a cherpa. And that's what David's feeling. That's what he's expressing. We all felt it this week. The disgrace and the shame of the Jewish people should be treated like, like, like back in the days of the Nazis, right? That's a shame. And what do we hear from David? How do, how do we remove this chalashem? And he says, and Eliab says, you bad boy, what are you doing here? And he says, what, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I say? It's just nothing. And then he comes, he says to Shaul, he's respectful. You don't hear anything from David that's negative. You hear humility. You hear fear of God. Right? God is going to save me from this monster like he saved me from the animals. Watch what David says. And then when he comes to Shaul, he's challenging him. He says, who are you? He says, I, I'm the son of Yishai. That's my greatness. He doesn't, 
ever put himself forward. Now, you will see in chapter 18 as we go along that David's humility is a very important part of his personality. And that's part, probably part of his charm. But the Gemara, going back to the Gemara, the Gemara says, right, Shaul wants to know is he Zerah Hoperet and not. There's two reasons for that. One, because he, if he's supposed to marry his daughter, he wants to make sure he's worthy. And two, if he comes from parents, then he might be a serious rival for the kingship. So then we get into this whole thing, and though, and then he sees the, the, the Gemara talks about how the, the, the uniform of Shaul fit on David, and um, and David is very and Shaul's very upset, and Doeg speaks up, and Doeg is um, we haven't spoken about him much before, but Doeg is Shaul's brilliant and evil advisor. And he says, what do you care if he's from, uh, um, from Zerach Peretz? He's from Ruth. He's a Moabite, right? And so Abner says, but wait a minute. It's, it's only Moabite men and Ammonite men, men are not allowed. Women are allowed. But Doeg is saying, well, you should say that about a Mamzer, not a Mamzeret. What do you mean? And the and he says, well, because it says in the Torah that they didn't come out and re give the Jewish people bread, right? And they're being punished for their lack of chesed. Jews cannot marry people who are anti-chesed, right? But then Doeg, who is very brilliant tactician, he goes, well, the men should have given food and uh, water to the men and the women should have given to the women. So the women are just as culpable. And Abner doesn't know how to answer that. So the king said, Ben Miza Ha'elem, Elem is a play on words. It's Ne'elam, I don't know the answer. And he says, go to the base medrash and find out the truth. And he goes to the medrash and they say, this is the halacha. The halacha is only the men are not allowed. So, show, so David is okay. So now we have this. And when he's trying to figure out, Shaul is trying to figure out if if David is a serious rival, and David says, I'm just the son of Yishai. Watch what happens. Pasuk Aleph in our parak. And Yonatan is sitting there. Don't forget, we met Yonatan. We know him. He is an exceptional brave and, and God-fearing young man. And when he sees David talking to Shaul, the soul of Yonatan became bound up, connected to the soul of David. Where have we heard this expression before? We heard it when Yehuda is talking to the king of Egypt, he doesn't know, it's Yosef, and he says that he can't bring Benjamin because the soul of Yaakov is bound up with the soul of Binyamin. It's expression of such a deep affection and, and connection that we, we, we can't break that. And all of a sudden, we find that Yonatan has just become completely taken with David, and there's something unbelievable going on here. Now, I didn't get a chance to put this on the computer, but I'll just give you... Um, Yoshua Bachrach. This is a book. It's called Ma Bain David. It's quite a long book. It was never translated into English, which is a shame. Um, I 
And he says, how come, how come Yeratan loves David? And this is an important thing. I've opened this for you, the Mishnah, right? Any love which is dependent on a thing, when the love is, um, uh, when the thing disappears, then the love disappears. But love, it does not depend on a thing, never, never goes away. It's never void. What kind of love is dependent on a thing? That's the love of Amnon Tamar. Now, this is Shmuel Bet. We haven't gotten to it yet. But David's son, Amnon, becomes infatuated with his half-sister Tamar. And he's desperate to sleep with her, and he actually rapes her. And at the minute that he's finished with this horrific act, he despises her, and he throws her out. He just hates her. And this is a classic example. In other words, once he got what he wanted, he wasn't interested in her anymore, which is an example of that's not love. That's not love. But love, and it's so interesting, the love that they, the Mishnah uses, the love that is, doesn't depend on anything, they use the example of David and Yonatan. Now, this love of David and Yonatan, unfortunately, as we live in sick times, has always been a danger that people will misinterpret this. But what Rav Bachoff does, and it's a very, very important thing to, to check this out, okay? He says, when we know Yonatan, we met Yonatan, we have seen him. Come on, he tells his, his armor bearer, let's go. God can do anything, and God can do anything. And the two of them together make this tremendous victory happen over a massive Plishti army. We know Yonatan. He's a, uh, he's a, um, a person who acts, he, he's, he's got an initiative, he's got bravery. He's the one, you know, when I, I teach Shmuel, my students are always in love with Yonatan. Ah, he's such a fantastic character. And he is so brave and he's so strong. And Rav Bachach talks about it and says, 40 days and 40 nights. The Plishti is standing there going, come and get me, you cowardly Jews. Come and get me, you slaves of Shaul. And Yonatan is the man. Like, Shaul is deep in his melancholy. But Yonatan was always the guy, the hero, and he can't do it. And the, there is something in him that's holding him back. And he doesn't realize it, probably because Shaul has, doesn't have the spirit of the king anymore, and Yonatan doesn't have it anymore. So even though his personality and his midot and his years Hashem are very strong, I forgot to take the phones out. I'm sorry. Even though Yonatan, right, is, is really the right man for this job, he can't do it. And then Rabbacher says, and I think this is a very, very important type, very exceptionally um, well thought out understanding. When David comes forward and he does it, okay, now is the question, how will you react to that act that you wanted to do and you couldn't. And there's two ways to react. One of the ways is Shaul's way. He becomes jealous. He becomes angry, right? I have no idea what I just did here, okay? 
Shaul is completely taken up with why, you know, this guy, he, he's got what I want. And Yonatan, Yonatan sees David, and there is an affinity of two souls that are very kadosh. They're very brave. They're very God-fearing. And Yonatan sees in David something that he responds to with his whole soul. They are cut from the same cloth. They are brothers without being brothers. And their friendship endures forever. You know, it's an unbelievable thing that happens. Now the Ramban, the Ramban talks about Ahavzalarecha Kamocha. And that, that's a strange mitzvah. How do you love someone like yourself? It's, it's, he says, how do you do that? And the Ramban's understanding is that you must remove jealousy from your heart. You must be able to be completely happy for someone else, completely taken with what they need. You, it doesn't matter. And if you look at the Ibn Ezra, the Ibn Ezra in, in um, on Los Achmod, Ten Commandments, right? Don't desire other people's things. The Ibn Ezra says, it's like if you if a peasant sees the princess, it's very beautiful, but it's not for me. Anything that belongs to someone else, we cannot be jealous of it because it's it should be to us like something in outer space. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't have any relationship to us. And that's how you conquer jealousy. So Rebrachach says what happens with Yonatan is that he, so much love fills him for David, so much admiration and respect and esteem. There's no room left for jealousy. He should be just as jealous as Shaul. He's just as messed up from David's ascent that, as Shaul is, but he can't, he just thinks David is so awesome that he just, he can't see that. And Shaul does the opposite. And here you have, you know, here you have the, the great test that a Kaddish Baruch Hu puts for Shaul and for Yonatan. Can you look at this man, David, and can you see in him all of the good qualities and not be jealous of them? And Yonatan passes the test with flying colors, but Shaul can't, right? And this is probably our first lesson. You know, we do not choose the circumstances of our lives. We only choose our reactions to them. And it's probably unfair to condemn Shaul for this lapse because he is suffering from this, you know, bad spirit from the depression that he's in. And this, you know, it's a sort of mental and emotional challenge for him. But when you see Yonatan's reaction, it's, it's impossible to not be so taken with how Yonatan deals. And we have to move along. Now, first of all, you might have noticed that in some texts you have Yonatan and some you, Yehonatan. So the Chazal noticed that and they say that until this Pasuk, he's Yonatan without the hay, except for those moments of bravery back in chapter uh 14, when he says, ah, oh, let's go do this, right? You know, God, God can do anything. And then he gets the hay. And here, the hay stays. From 
here to the end of the story, he's Yehonatan, except at the beginning of chapter 19, when Shoal tries to convince him that David is a bad guy. So it's kind of impossible. You know, some people say, well, it's just a change of strip. It's hard to say. Because when Hashem gives an extra letter to a person's name, there's significance. We're adding God in there. And I think that that's an important thing here. So we see this tremendous affection of, of Yonatan for David, Pasuket. Now, Shaul says, David, you have to stay with me. No more going home to the sheep. And they make a covenant. And the covenant is of covenant of friendship. Yonatan, as the king's son, gets precedence. But later on, when they renew the covenant, says Shnehem, they were on the same level already. And he he cannot he cannot do enough to elevate David. And this is a crazy situation, right? Because what you see here is Yehonatan taking off from himself his cloak, his sword, his uniform, his bow. His, his belt with his weapons and giving them to David. And the word for Yitzpashen is Hitzpael, to take it off. And the, the Radak says, this shows how eager he is to give these things to David. What does that mean? What is he giving to David? He's giving David that status of the king's son. He's saying, you deserve this. You deserve the cloak of the, of the prince. You deserve the sword and the bow of the prince. You are the person who deserves this. And this is tremendous symbolism. Yonatan understands that David is going to be the next king. It doesn't, it doesn't stop him from loving. I'm sorry, Yonatan understands that, that David is going to be the next him, king. And it doesn't stop him from loving David. And it's a tremendous thing to think about that a we have, you know, in Shira Shirim. Ki ahava. Love is as strong as death. Kasha kisho cannot. Jealousy is as tough as the grave. These are strange. Right? You cannot wash away love. Love exists. It's there. It's an emotion that they have. And it's so interesting because later on, I'll show you this, the relationship between David and Yonatan is very, very interesting. And later on, here when they part in chapter, this is chapter, I think 21, right? Now 22, second, chapter 20. And Yonatan and David part and they, um, they make a, a covenant in, in verse 41, right? They kiss each man his friend by Yifku and David Higdiel, and they cry over each other until David ends up crying more. I heard a very interesting word about that. Like, what is that? Sometimes we see the Torah tells us this one loves that one, and we never see does it go the other way also? Does David also love Yonatan? And you see over there that when they're crying as parties, David cries even more than Yonatan. David also loves Yonatan. It's, it's a two-way street. And he understands at that moment in time what Yonatan is giving up for him. 
So in addition to the tremendous friendship, it's this like gratitude that, that Yonatan is willing to go the extra mile for and David is sent out on all sorts of missions and wars, and everything does yaskil. He does with wisdom, and he's matzliach. And he goes out, and whatever Shaul tells him to do, he's successful. He does with seichel, and the people love him. They think he's great. And also Shaul's servants, who should be so jealous, up this upstar comes in, they love him also. There's a special charm and godliness that David exudes, that people just are attracted to him. And then we have the turning point. And it was when they went out. And David's coming back from striking the Plishti, probably Goliath. And the women come out to celebrate, to sing, and play musical instruments. Mecholot is usually interpreted as musical instruments. However, today, Mechol is dance. I'm into dancing. Anyway, they come out to greet Shaul with tupim, which are drums, with simcha, with joy, with shalishim. It's like a, uh, another kind of, interpreted usually as a small harp. The women are making sport. And they sang, and this is a song till today. Shaul struck in his thousands and David in his tens of thousands. What do we do with that? That is, oh my, oh my. Now you have to understand that it's usher. It is forbidden to praise a student in front of his rabbi. The Gemara talks about it. So, and then it says, right? They come out to greet Shaul Hamela. They come to greet Shaul the king. So if we're going to say that David, Shaul is the Melech, they are celebrating Shaul the king. And David is his general. So. Praising the general is also praising the king. So there's two ways, really, that this is understood. One is, right, that Shaul struck thousands and David struck ten thousands, which is really giving David greater. But the Mammon says it's possible to say that Shaul needed thousands to do his work and David needed ten thousand. In other words, it could be interpreted in a positive light. But you're dealing here with a super sensitive soul who's super angry and super afraid and waiting for any bad move. And he goes, oh boy. Got very angry. And this thing was bad in his eyes. They gave David Ten thousands, they only gave me a thousands, and all they need is to make him king. In other words, because of Shaul's state of mind, he could not hear that song and interpret it in any positive way, which we might. He right away said, they like David better than me. And we can start from here watching the progression 
of the deterioration of Shaul's love for David, which we saw in chapter 16. First, he's angry, and it's bad in his eyes. And then, Pasuk 10, by he Shaul oyen at David, now, Oyen is Milshon Ayin, I, and David, Shaul I, David, from that day forth. Now, the expression Oyen is not a, it's not a positive Ayin. We wouldn't say that. We would say another verb. Oyen is a negative kind of looking. And we know what's called Ayin Hara. Ayin Hara, the evil eye, that's jealousy. That's looking at someone and saying, why do they have what I want? Not being able to connect to the Ibn Ezra who says, what God wants to give you, God will give you. What God wants to give them is theirs. Cannot connect to that conception of God in this story and just looks at the bad and says, this person has what I want. And Joel is consumed with this evil eye, with this anger. And he says, okay, they're seeing his good qualities. They're seeing his bravery. They're seeing his success in war. And I know that he's probably the next king, but he isn't king yet. In fact, all they have to do is make him king. And now Shaul is deeply disturbed by David, prosecuted by Himi Maharat. On the next day, the bad spirit comes on Shaul. And he's mitnabe. We'll talk about that in a second. So this there's two men alone in the room. And David is just playing his harp, whatever it is he played, right? And he's focusing on his music. And Shaul is mitnabe. Now, the expression mitnabe is a hitpa'el of nevuah. Nevuah, right, according to Rashi, the target of Ishtati, he was raving. However, it's not so clear that now the Malbu goes into a whole discussion here. He says, anytime you have a hitpa'el, it's like you're trying to get there. You're trying to get there. When, you, when you're mitnabe, you have prophecy. When you're mitnabe, you want to have prophecy, but you don't necessarily have prophecy. And the Bible talks about it also they want to see the future and they're looking into it, but there's something irrational, right? You know, Yoshua comes and runs to Moshe. They're, they're, they're talking, they shouldn't be doing that, right? There was a 70 men and they should have left off having this spirit and they're still doing it. There's something here that Shoal is in this state of mind and he sees David and he's holding his spear. And Shaul throws the spear by Yoma and he said to himself, And he says, I'm going to strike David with the spear and I will pin him to the wall and I will kill him. And David turns away twice. In order to understand the story, we have to go look at. Let me show you. Where is it? Okay. I'm probably didn't open it for you. 
Okay, sorry. Okay, so let me just to get it exactly right. In chat in the first chapter of Shmuel Bet, after Shoal dies, Yonatan David has a very, very beautiful kina, the eulogy that he says for them. He says, I'm reading from the text, uh, not, not, it's not in the screen share. Keshet Yehonatan Lona Sogahor. The bow of Yonatan never went backwards. The cherev Shaul Lota Shuvrekal. Shaul's spear never came back empty. You are talking about an expert marksman. Shaul never missed with his spear. So he takes the spear and he throws it at David. Right, He's in this trance of anger and, and, and jealousy. And David turns away twice. Now, it seems likely from the way the psukim develop that David is not aware of what Shaul was actually trying to do and that his movements were involuntary. Or they were miraculously um, guided by Hashem because look how Shaul reacts. Because Shaul sees now he's really afraid he sees God is with the only way that he could have missed killing David is if God saved him and sees God is with David. And now he's even more afraid. And we see the progression. He started, if you follow this, like 10, 10 times in this paragraph that were escalated. He starts by being upset, upset, and angry. And then he's just very it's bad in his eyes. And then he, he he's suspicious and he's giving him the eye in horror. And then he says, I'm going to strike him. And now he's just plain afraid of this person who's so, so much with God. And then he says, like, let me just get him out of my sight. Just go to war, go be a general. And he goes out before the people. And everything he does is better and better. Shaul wants to demote him. He wants to get him out of the palace. He wants to put him in harm's way. And David just gets more and more successful. And the people are so in love with him. And God is with him. So it's not working. And Shaul sees that he can't lose. David cannot lose. Okay, so I'm just going to continue without the uh, screen share because it's all in my computer. So I'm just going to read you the psukim from the text. Okay, you could follow if you have a text in front of you. We were up to Pasuk. Tetzayin. Oh. Um, and everybody loves David. He's the one who's their hero. He's the one who takes them out to war. He's their general. They love him. And now comes the story of the two daughters. Yad 
Pasuk 17, David says, uh, Shaul says, why don't I um, make him a a uh, bill, uh, victim of the Philistines? He'll go and he'll do all the uh, the the war with the Philistines and he'll get killed. So he offers him Merav, his older daughter. <laughs> we should talk about how this was something that he should have had before. In other words, he should have he should have given him his daughter after the whole thing with Goliath, because that seems to have been the condition, the, the reward. But the Abarbanel said that that was just talk of the people at the t- at the the in the camp. That wasn't actually what Shoal promised, not necessarily. But now he says, you married my daughter. And he says, I'm going to have him killed like that. But you have to be a Ben Chayel. The Hayel you Ben Chayel. Be a good soldier. He's not a good soldier. Who am I? Again, I wanted to, I pointed this out at the beginning of the class. David is extremely humble. He's like, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. Now, how can he say that he knows he's anointed? It's not, and he says, It's a very sort of set aside phrase. So it seems like he's saying, yeah, actually my father, how can he say that Yishai is nobody? Yishai is somebody. But maybe he's saying the only greatness I have is my famous father. But he's saying like, it's, it, I'm not worthy of this. And then in Pasuk Yotet, a very strange phrase, and it was at the time that he, she was supposed to be given to David, is given to Adriel Abacholati. And now we have this sort of what? What? Is David really, was he really just being humble? It seems like he's being very humble. I don't deserve this, right? It could be that he was just being polite. But now when he was supposed to marry Mayrav, he agreed to marry Mayrav, all of a sudden she's given to someone else. So what does he do with that? That's a very unpleasant situation. So if you put yourself in David's place for a moment, how does he interpret that? I want you told me you're going to marry my daughter, and now you gave the daughter to someone else. Therefore, you don't really want me to marry your daughter. You were just playing with me. You were just, you know, teasing me. So, like, I'm out of here. So it's like, you know, we have this expression, English, one burn twice shy. He doesn't want to get into this. But we have this whole situation of, you know, Humility, it's also, he could be a little bit offended here, right? You said you're going to give me Meirab. And all of a sudden, Pasuk we hear, And Michal falls in love with David. This is the only place in the entire Tanakh where we have it stated that a woman loves a man. Only place, Michal loves David. We don't know if David loves Michal, but Michal loves David. And Shoal says, oh, this is terrific. What a great idea, right? And again, he's thinking the same thing. I'm going to use her to get after David. But David doesn't respond to this. And he's thinking, this is what Shoal's thinking. I'm going to give him uh, Michal, and she's going to be a stumbling block, and he's going to fool by the Philistines. This is a very strange phrase. You'll marry the second one. 
I'll go into a whole discussion that he married both sisters. It's very hard to interpret that way. I have a very big problem with that. It sounds like what happens is at the time when David's married Meirav, she goes off and marries someone else. She didn't want to marry David. That's okay, right? And so it, the Mitsuda says she didn't even ask Shaul. She just said, no, I'm out of here. I'm going to marry someone else. And Shaul says, you know, you'll marry my second daughter. We'll still be my son-in-law. And David doesn't answer. David is already, okay, uh, you know, maybe you're just trying to put me down. But but I'm sorry, David. A lot, lay more. He made for fates behind Mela for Halava Davahi, Vuhaba, Taita Tavamel. And then he, he, Shovel sets it up so that all of his, his uh, servants tell David, no, he really, really wants you to marry his daughter. He really does, right? They wanted to not, not coming from Shoal directly. They're telling him as if, you know, you know, Shoal really wants you to marry his daughter. And all of Shoal's servants love you. We all love you. And you should do this. Right? They tell David, you know, the king really wants you. Isn't it a simple thing? Is it a light thing to you to be the king's son-in-law? I'm, I'm nobody. I'm poor. I don't have any money. I don't have any big connections. I, I don't think that this is for me. And he's he's reluctant, David. We don't know how he feels about Michal or not, but he doesn't want to get into this thing where Shaul is going to be, you know, making fun of him and pulling Michal away, right? They come to Shaul and say, David is saying he's too poor. He's not uh, worthy of this. And Shaul says, don't, tell him, I don't need any money. I don't need any dowry. I just want you to kill a hundred Pushtim and bring me their foreskins. It's very reminiscent of the you know, scalps of the of the Indians. The Indians scalp people. They take their foreskins. It's kind of gross, right? Give me a hundred foreskins and that will be a true, truly great thing. And he thinks, he, you know, Dove is going to get killed in this situation. I have to understand that David is pulling back because the whole mess up with Meirav, but what the servants are saying to him, the king really wants you. And they it sounds like they're saying it was it wasn't it wasn't the king who changed her who changed his mind. It was Meirav. Meirav had this, she was already, you know, uh, wanted to marry Adriel before you came into this situation. And there's nothing to do with the king really wants you and wants you. Now, David gets this information and Shaul is thinking, let the Pushtim kill him. But David is like, okay, right? And David says, oh, okay. That actually pleases David on two levels. One, David knows that being the king's son-in-law is closer to being king, which he knows he's supposed to be. Then not being the king's son-in-law, he probably knows that Michal loves him. He certainly knows that Yonatan loves him. And he feels like the the Mesima from him, the mission of killing Pushtim, well, that's a great thing. That's a, you know something I really want to do anyway, because they're our enemies. 
פסק כ"ז, ויחמצא ויילך כבר עכשיו, ויח בפלישתם מאתי ימיש, ויבית זווית זרוע עושיהם, וימלום למלך לתחתן במלך, ויתן לשאול את מיכה ביתו לישה. ודוד גטס אפ, ואני אומר, הוא לא מתכוון לתת הרבה זמן, הוא יש לו זמן זמן, הוא בא ומתכוון לא 100, 200 פלסטינים, והוא מביא להם שתי שקנים לשאול, והוא מביא מיכל, וזה קצת קריפי, אוקיי? You don't love the foreskin thing, but okay. He's very Zariz. Another thing we can say about David, he's very, very, um, you know, his reason makdimim lemitzvah. We say a person who is a um, Zariz, a, um, what's the word? Uh, he acts with alacrity. And he marries Michal. Pasek Hafchet. Vayar shol vayeda. He has Shem im David. And Shaul, he is just stymied on every turn because oh, he thought he's going to kill him to push him. He's going to get killed. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. He gets 200 foreskins. He kills 200 push him and Micha loves him. Now, oh, it doesn't seem as if Shaul is particularly concerned about the happiness of his daughters, not Meirav and not Michal. But the fact that Michal loves David is a negative for Shaul in a certain sense, because if he wants to kill Shaul, if Shaul wants to kill David, Michal's going to get in the way, which actually happens because she loves David. Pasach Haptet. By Yosef Shaul lay Rome if nay David owed. By he Shaul o yebet David kolayamim. And Shaul continued to fear David even more, and he was his enemy all the days. So the, the escalation in Shaul's hostility to David has gone for more and more and more. And David is deeply entrenched in his family now. And Shaul looks around, and you can imagine what this means. Everybody loves David. His son loves David. His daughter loves David. The people love David. This, his servants love David. What is he supposed to do with this? Hashem loves David. He cannot seem to get to him. So Shaul's state of mind becomes more and more problematic as he's stymied on every front trying to hate David and trying to do David in. Plus a glamid, right? And the, the officers of Plishtim go out, and when they go out, David is more and more successful, right? And whenever he's successful, right, he's more successful than any other servant of Shaul, and his name becomes Yakar. It becomes highly esteemed, David. David is the great hero. David is the one who is so intensely respected. And we have this um, picture. I, I think that, you know, there's some deep psychological truth here, like maybe my sister will disagree with me, but to see the Avera Goreret Avera, the sin of not, appreciating. Look, David saved your coals when it came to Goliath. You were in a pickle there. You were 40 days. You were being put down by these Philistines. And David comes along and he saves your kingdom. He saves your people. Why aren't you at least filled with gratitude, even if you don't love him? 
Why are you right away filled with suspicion and jealousy? And we see that the psychological animosity that Shoal begins to feel for David builds and builds as we go through the parak, bit by bit. And meantime, we have this tremendous counterpoint. As Shoal becomes more and more hostile, David becomes more and more loved by everybody else. And so really, this chapter is like a turning point in the relationships of David with everybody around him. It's a kind of very sad story. But I did want to get back to this idea of humility, because humility is a very, very great mida. And I, I really can't can't leave this class without making my own personal comment on this. And I think I've said this many times, right? Um, that arrogance is one of the worst qualities. And the people, Kodesh tells us, at the end of Sefer Dvarim, beginning of Sefer Dvarim, you should come and you'll come into the land and you'll find everything go so well for you. And you're going to say, you're going to say, you're going to say, my power and the great might of my hand has done this for me. And you're forgetting Hashem. And every time, you know, we forget, every time we forget, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to make any comments because, you know, we don't know what happened and we don't know, uh, you, you know, everything is ultimately God's plan, God's decree here. And we don't know how this is going and where it's going. But what does seem clear is that um, somewhere along the line, there was a failure in leadership. And, um, and it seems to me, and I think I've said this many times in this class, that, you know, the the story of Yoshua, right, where they they conquer Yericho, and Yericho's a miracle. And then they think that they're so clever, and uh, they don't need to do much to conquer I. And that doesn't work out so well for them. So the Jewish people have to remember that Akadosh Baruch Hu is the one who does the miracles for them, and to never lose sight of Akadosh Baruch Hu's hand in world events. And um, whenever we lose sight of that, Hashem says, oh, you think? Do it on your own. See how it goes with without me. So um, we would just dive in that Bezrat Hashem, next time we meet another week, that we'll be able to talk about the uh, great Nisim, the great miracles that Hashem will do for us, Bezrat Hashem. And because in the spirit, um, I think you've all been on the social media. <laughs> the tremendous things that Clyde's are doing for each other, the tremendous outpouring of help and chesed and um, kindness one to the other, the, the, the great feeling of uh, unity and and all that that's coming out and that's chut bezrat Hashem, daven and daven and daven that Hashem will take us out of this and bring an end to the cherpa, to the terrible disgrace that we suffered. I'm going to stop here. I'm going to, un- everybody can unmute themselves if you want to say something. I just don't know what happened to my computer. So I kind of, I keep playing with the mouse. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But you could all uh, unmute yourselves if you have something to say.
see this stuff in the chat. It's just, it's just my computer just stopped. The connection just stopped all of a sudden. Never happened before. And I'm going to, I have my suspicions about what happened because, um, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I hope everybody is well and everybody, um, will be Hashem. No. See good things. Yeshua's, Yeshua's. Thank you, Mom. Nisim. We need some Nisim here. We need a Kaddish Baruch Hu to have uh, Rahmanis on us and to take us out of this very difficult mess. So I don't even I don't even know who's there anymore because it's just on my phone here. Like who who's there? Hello, I see. Bev, Nahama, Ruth, Yardena, Nahama. Yeah. Hi. Hey everybody. Hi. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about the technical difficulties. Okay. It was so lovely to learn together. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much, Esther. Okay. Like I said, if we didn't if we didn't learn, we would just uh, it would be too hard. And it's, it's amazing how the Torah is always giving us the Right messages when we need them. This is like a little crazy. Doing this on my phone. I <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hope we have miracles. All right, thank you, ladies. Okay. Yeah. Hashem can save with one. You know, we're already coming out with stories that are absolutely incredible. The story of Rachel Edri, the little old lady in Ofakim, is going to be one for the books. It's going to go yeah. down in history. She's the she one that five self, terrorists. Self fed them, right? Five yeah. Terrorists. yeah mm -hmm. And she's just lying them with food. Jewish mother's instinct is that. Hungry people are nastier. So she keeps pulling out food for these five terrorists. And she and her husband, thank God, like totally survived. And just in the, in the marriage. But the and they got son, the terrorists. Who was right? there at the time. And the son said, the son said, my mother and my father are always giving food to sick people. I have tremendous this is what they do, like uh, a whole situation going on. And yeah. so that, you know, the tremendous merit, say, from these, uh, you know, horrible creatures. I don't even know what to call them. I think calling them animals is uh, too animals good for them. Too good. You know. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so we're already hearing some interesting miraculous stories and... Um, Shem should give us all koach to get through the the tough times and uh, bring us all. But she, right? Amen. No, no amen. Amen. Good night. Yeah. Good night. Good night, well. everybody. Thank you, Esther. Take care. Bye. 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 Bye.